Dutchman, and I'm joined with... Hey there everyone, I'm Benjamin. Thank you for returning and watching our series once again. All right. So again, this is episode two of the Silicon Syndicate podcast. And um, again, you guys know the general conduct of the show. Uh, also, we'd like to personally thank our listeners who tuned in for our inaugural show. So thank you very much for the support. We appreciated that. And this time around, I think it's been a good good two weeks, good two weeks since uh, since episode one. Isn't that right, Ben? Yeah, it has actually been two weeks. It's been quite interesting. We've been receiving feedback from our listeners, uh, from our friends, from our family, and we have taken those feedback into heart. And we hope that the, the feedback uh, we received will be translated into an improvement, a noticeable improvement in this episode. All right, exactly. So in terms of the news cycle and in terms of the general conduct of the show for this week, uh, we don't really have a lot. Uh, in terms of the news, but we do have a very, very juicy discussion because in today's discussion, we're going to review the iPhone 11 Pro from the perspective of a lifelong Android user such as Benjamin and a lifelong iOS user such as myself. So that's going to be pretty insightful. So definitely stay tuned to that one for the end. So without further ado, Ben, I'm going to jump into the news cycle, shall we? Let's go. All right. So for this week... We've got uh, Apple decided to, I mean, there has been rumors, uh, as suggested by 9to5Mac, that suggest that Apple is going to create its own subscription service bundle, in which Apple's going to come up with a bundle that will bundle up all of its services under one particular subscription. So again, this has been a much uh, heavily requested feature ever since Apple introduced uh, a variety of services, particularly last year with the introduction of Apple News+, Plus, Apple TV+, Plus, and Apple Arcade. So with the introduction of a bundle, uh, it would sort of put all of Apple services under one roof, therefore making it easier for us as a user because we only pay one particular fee for all of the services. Now, this, in my opinion, is, again, very, very beneficial, especially for me, who utilizes most of uh, the Apple's uh, Apple services, such as Apple Apple TV Plus and Apple Music. So by bundling all of these subscriptions up, it again eases the burden on my end instead of paying for them separately. It uh, I get to pay one particular fee. So that, again, in terms of managing my finances, that's a very very helpful feature. But at the same time, this this move right here indicates Apple's push into the world of services because for the longest time, Apple has been a hardware company. But in recent years, Apple is now transitioning into the services sector uh, with introduction with the introduction of iCloud and Apple Music and now with the services that we have today Apple is now seeing the the tremendous potential in the service industry because after all I believe that Apple is a company that provides an experience and an, and an experience extends beyond just the hardware an experience goes to the software and the services as well so if Apple can sort of incorporate all of these various elements into into, and take all these elements into consideration, we can have a very, very cohesive uh, experience. So suggestion, uh, again, we found uh, this was suggested uh, in iOS 13.5.5 code in the beta that suggests a bundle subscription. Uh, I believe, um, according to 9to5Mac, uh, the bundle is rumored to start at 30 US dollars. So again, pretty reasonable for, for what you get. All right, so next up, in terms of uh, the news cycle. Hey, Ben, we're all excited for the iPhone 12, am I right? Yes. Um, it seems that uh, not only have we been given leaks of um, 
the iPhone 12 so far. And we've, to some degree, shared uh, leaks of the iPhone 12 uh, in our last episode. But uh, we've also gotten leaks of the iPhone after that, apparently. <laughs> so so not only uh, uh, have we gotten a treat in iPhone 12 leaks, but we apparently have iPhone 13 leaks. <laughs> now, that that right there, I mean, this is absurd. Like, the rumor mill today especially has hit an, has hit an all-time high because... Usually, we prepare for a rumor for the upcoming iPhone, but not the iPhone the year after. We barely have anything regarding you know, future versions of the iPhone. But right now, we've got iPhone 13 leaks. Yep, legitimate iPhone 13 leaks. Now, this is coming from uh, Mako Takara, and they've apparently shared iPhone 13 mock-ups, like actual physical mock-ups of the device. And one of these mock-ups have what appears to be, drumroll please, a USB-C port. Rejoice, Ben, rejoice. Indeed, we should rejoice. Finally, Apple has uh, made their entire um, port lineup, I suppose that's the best term I could come up with. They've, They've had the entire port lineup consistent if the rumors are true. But apparently John Prosser doesn't think so. Uh, in, a, in a tweet that he that was in reply to this article, uh, to the rumors rather, he said that it's not going to happen, that it's probably not. And um, that might be the case because Apple's Apple, like any other huge conglomerate, any huge company, they have tons of prototypes in development. And whatever Marco Takara spotted, uh, that might very well just be one of the prototypes involved. John Prosser has been really spot on with extremely accurate uh, leaks and rumors and info, even till today. So to see someone, uh, to see an analyst, Marco Takara and John Prosser sort of clashing head, you know, sort of headbutting. Well, not exactly. It wasn't. Uh, there's nothing personal there, of course, but with conflicting reports and rumors, it's hard to say who's right. Are we to trust a, a long-term analyst who's been doing this for a long, long time regarding Apple products? Or are we going to go with what is essential, who is essentially the, the new boy in town, the favorite, when it comes to Apple leaks? But of course, I, if there is a U, iPhone 13 with a USB-C port, I am going to jump into that because, you know, I can finally charge all my devices using the same damn wire. I could not have ever done that before because Apple still decided to go with the lightning connector. Right. But uh, Apple has expressed in the past reservations on this, so it's hard to say whether or not they're actually going to do it. For all I know, this could actually be a model specific to Europe or rather the countries or rather uh, members of the European Union because the, the EU has had discussions and are planning to legislate the type of ports that phones are allowed to have. And they've come up with the solution that ports should be standardized. There should be USB-C across the board. Apple, again, has resisted this. Uh, They've cited that they would rather have innovation uh, as to what ports should be allowed on their phone. A lot of commenters have been uh, skeptical of this point. But I suppose to some degree it makes sense because apparently they want to have a completely portless phone in the near future. So again, it's really hard to say what is exactly going to happen. If indeed Apple wants to produce 
a special EU version of the phone. This might be a first for them because I've, they've not known to have done this. What do you think, Lax? In my opinion, in terms of the whole European Union situation, I don't think Apple will comply because they it's never in their DNA to sort of cater to uh, particular standards. They sort of do what they feel is is right. So here's my take on the whole USB-C thing. Because uh, right now, if you, if you observe the lineup for iPhone, we've got the iPhone 11, and then we've got the iPhone 11 Pro and 11 Pro Max. So what I believe is that next year, we will we might see a shift to USB-C for the lower-end iPhone 13 models, but on the Pro models, or whatever they call it, on the very ultra-high-end models, they will be portless. So they will sort of have the direction of how iPhones will grow in the future, whereas the standardized iPhone, like we have the 11 now, and what's soon to be the 12, and then the 13, presumably next year, that phone will retain a port, but instead of Lightning, it will retain. It will instead switch to USB-C. I think that makes uh, the most sense. Yeah, I concur. I think I think that is well. I think that seems to be a lot more likely than uh, Apple actually producing a special version for the European Union. Even though other phone manufacturers done it, Apple, as you've mentioned, Apple is not one to to particularly comply with such measures. I mean, they haven't in the past, and they somehow managed to work their way around it. And I'm sure that they, they might very well do it again. All right. So moving on in the, in the new cycle. So Ben, iOS 14 is, uh, is just around the corner. WWDC is uh, the 22nd of June. And this time for the rumor mill, uh, we've been hearing lots about widgets in uh, coming to iOS, finally, like actual widgets. But based on our recent uh, reports from multiple sources, instead of what we believe, instead of seeing widgets on the home screen of the iPhone, Apple is apparently going to incorporate third-party widgets in the control center. So uh, if you look at control center right now, you can add various um, shortcuts to various applications, but they're all first-party applications, not third-party applications. So right now with iOS 14, I believe Apple's going to add on third-party widgets, interactive third-party widgets, and they're probably going to redesign uh, the layout of control center as well. So again, not that exciting. It would be nice to see a full redesign of iOS, one that incorporates native widgets within the operating system. But um, I guess we're going to have to wait for that. Moving on in the new cycle, let's get into some hardware. We've got an iPad Pro that was released a couple of months ago, about two two months back. And I was fortunate enough to get my hands on with the device a couple of days ago. And I have to say, it is a it is pretty much the same as the the third generation iPad Pro in terms of the actual device itself, uh, with the only significant change being the keyboard, this uh, the Magic Keyboard, which I must say is a is quite a quite a lovely. It does provide a very very lovely typing experience. It's very tactile, and um, it's 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 pretty good. But as we've all been hearing, at least for the past couple of months, there's also been rumblings of a much more significantly redesigned iPad Pro that's in the works. Up until now, rumors have suggested that the iPad Pro, that at least is redesigned, is uh, slated to come out at the end of this year. But according to uh, recent rumors right now, that has been pushed back to 2021 next year, at least uh, early 2021. This model is set to include a mini LED display. And now mini LED displays are at the best version of LEDs that we can get, at least in comparison to uh, traditional OLED displays. 
in terms of the black levels, in terms of the, um, the color accuracy and so on and so forth. So this transition to mini LED is quite a, quite a significant one. But unfortunately, it won't be have happening this year. It'll be happening next year. So Ben, what about the Android world? Do we have any, any news regarding the, the Android side of things? Well, yes, Alex. Actually, uh, there has been few sayings, a whisper in the woods, apparently, that the Pixel 4a might actually come with uh, wireless charging. While these are just rumors so far, there hasn't been any more concrete leaks on this, nor specifications. Um, and judging by the Pixel 3a, there might not actually be any wireless charging, and it might just be some basic speculation. However, it would make sense that Google would want to try and insert a wireless uh, charger, or rather, uh, make sure that the Pixel 4a has wireless charging capabilities, since the Pixel 4a's competitor, the nearest competitor, which is basically the iPhone SE, also has wireless charging. While it'd be very, very interesting and very worthwhile for Google to include uh, wireless charging capabilities into the Pixel 4a, I think for now that's quite unlikely. In the realm where news is more likely, IFA, uh, this uh, annual international uh, tech event in Berlin, is on. There is actually a live event. However, the live event isn't the same as it used to be. There'll be a limited number of participants in the in IFA, uh, mainly journalists and reporters. So alongside this live event, there's also going to be a virtual event alongside it. So most people, if they are able to register and perhaps even pay to attend this virtual event, will get to see many of these uh, displays and attractions that technology manufacturers have to offer. So while the dis details are a bit scant on who's participating exactly in IFA, it's good to hear that uh, things are getting well enough so that, you know, some level of live events, however much limited they might be, can actually be put into play. So Lex, what's your take on this? Any news is good news at this point. So the fact that IFA is happening, uh, that, is, uh, that, is, that is exciting because at least we've got something to, to look forward to in the tech space. Because uh, as of right now, events in particular have been uh, put on a constraint uh, moving forwards. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, as for the Pixel 4, however, I don't know. I'm a bit skeptical on that point. But you never know. If the Pixel 4 does include wireless charging, then I think it would be it would increase its chances to be a viable competitor uh, to devices like uh, the recently released iPhone SE. That's true. Um, and, well, I guess we'll just have to see, ladies and gentlemen, what happens with the Pixel 4a. And, indeed, what are the going-ons in IFA later this year? If, we haven't, if I haven't mentioned it already, IFA Berlin begins on the 3rd of September all the way till the 5th of September later this year. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for our new segment. We're going to go on a very short break. Trust me, not that long. So stay tuned and enjoy some of these jazzy tunes we have in store for you. We'll be back with our discussion segment in a short while. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. So now that we've done, now that we've covered the news, let's dive into uh, today's segment. So today we're going to be discussing 
the iPhone 11 Pro from the perspective of a lifelong iOS user, such as myself, and a lifelong Android user, such as Benjamin over here. So again, I've been using iPhones for a very long time. Ben has just got his first iPhone because he's been an Android guy since the beginning. And we have different views. We have different perspectives on what we like and what we don't like about uh, about iOS and about the iPhone 11 Pro in general. So the aim of this discussion is just for us to sort of sum up our thoughts of what, what we like, what we don't like, and as well as what Apple can improve moving forwards. So this is definitely a very, very juicy and a very interesting take. So without further ado, let's uh, let's dive in. So Ben, I believe the perspective that people want to hear most is that of your end. Because again, you're a lifelong Android user, and now you've made the transition to iOS. So why don't you tell us what you what you enjoy, as well as some of the quirks here and there about uh, about the iPhone 11 Pro and iOS in general? Uh, well, let's talk about iOS first because I think so. I think that software is that main rift between Android and iOS users. Now, I'm not the kind of guy to to be particularly tribalistic when it comes to these kinds of things. As far as I'm concerned, if it's good, it's, if the software is good, the software is good. And where iOS is concerned, it's very clear where iOS strength lies in. The smoothness and the responsiveness of the software is pretty much not matched by Android in any meaningful way. Now, just to give the ladies and gentlemen a sort of background of the phones I've used to use, my first Android phone was a Sony Xperia SP, a mid-range phone. The next phone was a OnePlus X. I still love the phone. Uh, it still works very smoothly. However, uh, one horrible drop incident destroyed and shattered the screen, including the, dis- including the display. So um, there goes any hope of completely restoring the phone. Afterwards, I used a, Moto, a Motorola G5S Plus. That's a mouthful. Another mid-range phone. It was decent. It's not the greatest phone. It worked well for a while, but I noticed after a year it really started to lag. And the current Android phone I'm using right now is the Galaxy S10, which is my first proper Android flagship. People should understand that I'm not particularly a fan of Samsung. I'm not really a fan of Samsung. Uh, I've tried to avoid Samsung for all of my life. It just so happens that the Galaxy S10 happened to be the first package that really, really convinced me with its design. Well, its futuristic-esque design. It's much, much improved software, and it's gotten even better right now since Android 10 and One UI 2.1, and all-around usability. Now, that being said, iOS offers certain things that Android just, as I mentioned, it just can't match. And one of the biggest things that I've heard, and it's not just coming from me, it comes from other people as well, is the smoothness and the responsiveness of the phone. Now, I'm not saying that my Galaxy S10 is a slouch. By no means. It works very well. It It doesn't or it barely stutters. But the iPhone, the iOS, it just flies. It's smooth. The animations, the way the apps come into play, the way the gestures are handled, it's overall a much more pleasant user experience. And considering the hardware that the iPhone 11 Pro does with its most powerful mobile chip in the world, paired with, I would would say, actually pretty fast RAM and pretty fast storage, the iPhone 11 Pro is genuinely a very pleasant phone as far as user experience is concerned. This is all from just looking at basic hardware and basic software. Well, that's interesting, Ben. It, well, in general, like, as you mentioned, your biggest takeaway here is the fluidity of iOS 
as compared to Android. So you're saying that um, in terms of the Android world, you have not noticed this fluidity in, in, in any of the devices, not, not just on the mid-ranges, but even on the high-end devices. I mean, that's true. I suppose perhaps the closest competitor to iOS in this regard would be OnePlus's Oxygen OS. But from using using those phones for a brief amount of time, those phones are quick and snappy, but they're not necessarily fluid. Now, I'm not saying you'll see any jutters or any stuttering when you use the phone, but uh, I'm not sure how to put it. The feel, the visual feel of iOS, it is as if it's fluid, whereas the visual feel of um, something like Oxygen OS and its snappiness, it's it, it's it's more akin to, I don't know, it's quick to launch. Its animations are smooth, but it doesn't appear as if it's fluid. The thing is, um, I, I actually see where you're coming from. I believe because as a lifelong iOS user, there's sort of like an organic sort of feel to the entire operating system whereby there is a form of coherency. There's a form of fluidity that seems natural, in my opinion. So that's some of the reasons why um, I believe you in general, you love um, the the software. So Ben, what about the hardware, Ben? What about the hardware? Well, um, I love Face ID. You know, there's, there's no way to get around it. I think Face ID is quite an amazing tool. I actually do prefer it to, you know, touch ID or fingerprint scanners. And I say this because, you know, I want the ability to pick up my phone and read the notifications on my home screen. You know, right now on my Galaxy S10, if the phone's not unlocked, you can't read my messages. And of course, if you hit the fingerprint scanner, the phone unlocks and goes into the home screen. And that's not necessarily what I want. You know, when I do have notifications, I do want to read them, but I don't necessarily want to reply uh, to them directly. So that's where Touch ID and Apple's implementation of it is really important. I know a lot of people really upset that you can't use Face ID to immediately unlock the phone and go to the home screen. And I agree that's a bit of a short-sighted approach from Apple. You know, I think there are ways to to improve Face ID in this respect. So, for example, if you don't have any notifications and you use Face ID, the phone immediately goes into the home screen. I think that would be the best approach. But all in all, as far as it is right now, I really do enjoy Face ID. Moving on from that, you know, if you talk about, say, the camera, well, the camera on the iPhone 11 Pro, you know, what can I say? It beats it beats the hell out of um, the Galaxy S10. There's no competition over there. Well, you heard it, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> the iPhone has a better camera than most Android competitors out there. <laughs> but um, I think in, in terms of uh, the overall experience, at least from your end, based on what I've heard, it's sort of like a breath of fresh air in some aspects. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, since you've been tied down to the uh, Android ecosystem for so long, right now that you've uh, experienced iOS firsthand, you sort of enjoy the small nuances here and there. Well, like you've mentioned, in terms of the fluidity of the software, um, the convenience of Face ID, I've mentioned this before. And when, when it comes down to it, iOS, or at least Apple products in particular, the fundamental selling point has always been convenience. It's always, you know, it's not about having the flashiest features here and there, because um, usually most of the time, if you compare the feature set from uh, the Android side and iOS side, Android usually has some of the more interesting implementations, well, at least for features. But iOS tends to provide 
a set of features that results in it being an experience that is fluid, that is natural, that that you just want to keep using. And I think that element of iOS and and Apple in general is uh, is something to to keep an eye on moving forwards because that's been the one factor that has uh, defined Apple products for the longest time. So that is definitely a quite an insightful uh, insightful take. Um, so do you have anything else to say regarding um, your experience? Of all the wonderful things I do have to say about the iPhone, I mean, there are certain things that are pretty infuriating. For example, I'm pretty upset that the iPhone 11 Pro still has a lightning port. It's good that there's fast charge. There's a really fast charging capabilities and the battery lasts a bloody long time. I mean, I do mean a ridiculously long time. You know, when I don't use the phone, I, I, I could not charge the phone for, let's say, three days or so. And I'll still have enough to have, you know, a two hour YouTube binging session. But the fact that I don't have a USB-C is really irritating to me. I, I think at this point in time, Apple should have already implemented USB-C. One of the complaints we've been hearing recently is the entire port situation with iPhones. Um, well, for the longest time, iPhones have always had uh, a uh, proprietary port, going back to uh, the 30-pin connectors in the early days, and then uh, making the transition to uh, to the Lightning port that we have today. I believe, um, yes, USB-C is... Uh, is something that will dramatically improve the overall experience because in Apple is all about cohe- uh, coherency. And right now, if you look at, if you observe the lineup, all the MacBooks have moved to USB-C. Um, on the iPad Pro, they now utilize USB-C. The only models that utilize any other port is the iPhones and the lower-end iPads. So that, in my opinion, needs to change because I believe you get tremendous benefits from switching to uh, to USB-C. But as we've discussed earlier with uh, with uh, going back to the Mako Takara, uh, Mako Takara's report on uh, the iPhone 13 next year, I believe Apple will, will switch to USB-C, but only on the lower end models because the eventual goal for Apple is to go portless because they're all about um, working towards a wireless future. And... Um, I believe next year, next year's lineup will provide that flexibility. Those of us that want USB-C can get it in um, sort of the lower end models. And those of us who want to embrace the uncertainties and the excitement of the future can go, can, can go for the, uh, the high end models that most likely will not have any sort of physical uh, connector on it. So um, that's definitely an interesting, interesting take. So Ben, what about, what about the hardware in terms of the design of the 11 Pro? That I must hear from you. Mm, well, in terms of design, sorry, Apple people, you know, the Android space still has iPhone beat. And that's because the current design of the iPhones, they're essentially three years old. Now, while I personally don't have any issues with the notch because it actually serves a, a function. Um, and, you know, the, the notch isn't a horrendous piece of work, you know. On the iPhone, Apple's has somehow made it work. So as far as the front of the phone is concerned, you know, it's it's fine. You know, it's pretty good. It's not the best, but it's pretty good. The back, however, is a different story. I picked the Midnight Green model. I really do enjoy the color. I think it is a really nice looking color. The design, however, is, um I don't know how to put it. It's pretty bad. Now, it's not the worst, right? This stovepipe design has been copied horrendously by other Android wait, manufacturers. Wait, wait, hold up, hold up. What did you call it? Stovepipe? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a stove it's it's a stovepipe design. And you know, Android manufacturers have taken inspiration, so to speak, and uh completely butchered it. Let's put it that way. You seen it with the Galaxy S twenty models? 20, yes. the, the Ultra Huawei phones. 
Yeah. Well, you've seen it. You've seen it with so many other Android manufacturers, and at this point, I think it looks extremely ugly. Now it looks fine on the iPhone, okay. However, it really doesn't look as good as, say, the iPhone 10 or the iPhone 10s. It really doesn't. Of course, I don't necessarily blame Apple. You know, you have three cameras, and it's not the easiest thing to design to fit three cameras in a pretty decent way. Now, I must say, I've gotten used to the look. You know, I think it looks fine now, but it still doesn't look as good as my Galaxy S10, and that's a problem for Apple. For uh, at least, at least, I do think that is a problem because you have a phone that is much older than the iPhone 11 Pro that looks better than it and i think that's a very big problem now that's in terms of the look of the phone yes and to me that matters to some degree you know especially if it's a flagship if you pay $1000 you should expect a $1000 design in terms of the feel in hand it's excellent you know i prefer the feel in hand compared to say my Galaxy S10 the frosted glass back is magnificent it doesn't scratch it you can barely see any fingerprints. It's wonderfully easy to clean. And, and you know, I rock my, my phone naked, by the way. There is no case. There is no skin on my phone, just as I do on my Galaxy S10. Or at least I threw away the case on my Galaxy S10. So the feel on the hand is pretty, pretty good. I must say it is the best feeling phone I've had in quite a while. Well, I must agree in terms of, uh, in terms of the feel of the device, the frosted back, the frosted glass back is a welcomed addition, in my opinion. It's very smooth, very silky. It's very nice. But in terms of uh, the implementation of the camera design, that's been quite controversial uh, as of late because many people have been uh, gri- have a lot of gripes regarding uh, the design of the camera module. But um, actually, I did a little bit of digging and it turns out that uh, Apple seeked inspiration from old film cameras from the 1950s. If you were to um, Google uh, film cameras from the 1950s, they have, in fact, an identical setup to the iPhone 11 Pro's camera setup, whereby you've got two two cameras uh, diagonally and one per, one perpendicular on the other side. So essentially, they sort of seek inspiration from uh, from how cameras have looked like throughout time. But um, again, I must agree with you; it's not the best looking in terms of uh, how iPhone designs have been. Uh, in my opinion. Oh, which reminds me, this is a little bit off topic, but uh, what is your favorite designed iPhone period? The iPhone 5 and the iPhone 5S, hands down, the best looking iPhones to date. Right. And I must agree, the 5S uh, in particular, in my opinion, it is it is truly a magnificent device. The level of fit and finish that went into uh, into sort of designing and producing a device like that from its chamfered edges to uh, the squared off design. Again, very, very beautiful. I remember you telling me that uh, in terms of iPhone design, a lot of it went downhill after the 5S with the with the iPhone 6, with the horrendous antenna lines. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Um, oh, God, those, those terrible antenna lines. I genuinely don't know what Apple was thinking. In particular, I do not know what Johnny was thinking of. Now, Apple is known to have sacrificed form, sorry, is, is known to sacrifice functionality for form. So I do not know why they've never bothered to do that. Um, I'm sure there are ways to overcome it. I mean, at the point in time, I believe Nokia, Nokia had pretty good design phones by the time the 6S came out. And they're very competent. They're good looking. They were unibody 
uh, aluminium unibody designs as well. HTC as well had aluminium unibody designs, and they were the best-looking smartphones on the market. So it seemed really perplexing to me that Apple didn't bother to do anything or did not do much to, to you know, make the phone less ugly. And of course, it was less ugly when the iPhone 7 came out, and it looked much, much better when the iPhone 8 came out. And of course, the iPhone 10 is still a really good-looking phone. So yeah, it, it, it really did go downhill for, for a little while there. Good thing it's starting to resurge. Hopefully, you know, we've mentioned about the iPhone 13 mock-up earlier. Now, the one thing perhaps we didn't mention was that it's apparently rumored that there's going to be four cameras and a LiDAR sensor attached to the bottom of the camera module. Um, if you've seen the photos, Christ, they look really, really bad. So hopefully that's not the design. Well, actually, we've got some news regarding um, regarding that particular design. Uh, John Prosser took the exact same image and uh, he retweeted it on Twitter saying, nope, this is not it. So at least that's a breath of fresh air, huh, Ben? Because that was truly, <laughs> truly a horrendous... Uh, it's, a, it's like they're adding more stuff to the back, you know, like, Instead of a cohesive back, we're just adding more and more stuff to complicate things. But then again, I I understand because as we move on, phones are going to, you know, phones are already doing so much. And in the future, they're going to do a hell of a lot more. So, you know, you have to, it's it's essentially physics here because you have to also add in certain physicalities to the device in order to gain uh, more features. How Apple chooses uh, chooses to uh, do this moving forward, that's definitely something very interesting. But uh, in terms of that uh, that leak that we saw, thank God, if you can trust John Prosser, it's we don't have to worry about it. But um, as you mentioned, um, one of the things that I like coming from a lifelong iOS user from the iPhone is that in my opinion, um, the iPhone 11 Pro is, um, is a combination of all the things that we've seen in iPhones throughout the years from the beginning, you know, from implementing um, a user uh, a user interface that's friendly and approachable to at the same time uh, incorporating high tech uh, feature sets uh, in particular in terms of the camera one of the one of the features till today that android has not yet matched uh, is uh, re- uh, recording 4k at 60 video uh, for a prolonged period of time so that's uh, apple still has a lead in terms of uh, in terms of video moving forwards in terms of uh, what i love about the iphone 11 pro i and I'm someone that's engrossed uh, in within the Apple ecosystem. And one thing I love is the amount of uh, fluidity that you get with utilizing a device like the iPhone 11 Pro. Like um, now with the implementation of uh, the triple camera setup, you have access to both a wide angle lens, a telephoto lens, and an ultra wide. And the fact that I get to mix and match and take various pictures and sort of airdrop them to uh, my MacBook to edit them or sort of send them off to uh, my iPad and various other devices as well. That coherency, that flexibility that I get is something that I love. But also another thing that I love um, on the iPhone end of things is um, the processing power. Because uh, as we all know, in terms of uh, speed, the iPhone is still is still king. This, you know, the A13 Bionic chip uh, in the iPhone 11 Pro is is still a beast. It's a screamer. Android uh, has not yet produced a viable competitor. At least Snapdragon has not uh, produced a competitor to uh, compete with this device. So 
it's these elements that add to the overall snappiness of the device that gives it a very, very pleasing use case, in my opinion. And going back to uh, to when I my first iPhone that I've personally used was the iPhone 4S. Um, that was my first iPhone way back in uh, 2011. And seeing the evolution of things, I can say, yes, we've come a long way. There is definitely room for improvement. But at the same time, what I love, again, cohesiveness and reliability. iPhones have never let me down. You can, it is rec- you can recommend someone to utilize an iPhone for a good three, four years now. And you can still get consistent uh, software updates as opposed to the Android space whereby you only get uh, one or two at most. So it's these little nuances that sort of add up to the uh, to the overall experience and uh that's that's just what that's just what i love uh in terms of uh, of the iphone well yeah i could not agree more i think that the software updates that apple has committed to basically i think i think that's amazing you know i buy a phone now and it's going i know it's going to do well for the next 5 years or at least i have a reasonable expectation of that one such example that we uh, that we can sort of bring up is uh, for example the iphone 5s which was released in uh, 2013 with iOS 7. That phone was supported for an astonishing six years. It only stopped getting support with iOS 12. iOS 12 was the last supported OS that was run on the iPhone 5S. And uh, that's, 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 that's astonishing in my opinion. I agree. And I find it really weird that Android has still not found a way. You know, Android users out there that, are, that have actually kept track of this may have heard of, of, of certain features and tool sets that uh, Android has made available to OEMs so that system updates can take place without interfering much of the skin that manufacturers have placed on it. But certain manufacturers like uh, Samsung has actually resisted this. And so they're sort of in the way, they're obstructing Android users in getting proper and timely updates. Because this feature set, by the way, is not new. It was introduced quite a few years ago. So I think it's quite a damn shame that uh, in the Android space, uh, software updates hasn't uh, improved much. But yeah, I mean, I think I think Apple saw this as an opportunity. Uh, they took it and it's paying off really well for them. They've done it in the PC space. Hell, even Microsoft uh, will support many, many different types of hardware, even really old hardware, with Windows 10. You could run a computer that, say, shipped with Windows XP and you'd have Windows 10. But you can't do the same thing with Android phones unless you were to root and flash new operating systems into it. And that's a bit of a hassle. You know, even I would not rather get through that. That's quite an interesting insight. Ben, do you think moving forward, at least now that Android has sort of noticed that many people tend to choose an iPhone over an Android because of... uh, the guaranteed support in terms of software for years to come. Do you think Android will start implementing that? Well, like I mentioned earlier, they've already implemented that to some degree. There are tools available to developers and to the OEMs to to implement this. But, you know, certain manufacturers like Samsung are sort of standing in the way of this. And so until something changes, I think it's going to be extremely difficult for Google to do for Google to do much, unless they become a little more strict with their operating systems and how Android manufacturers treat them, I think this is not going to change anytime soon. But that being said, I wonder how many people actually take into account of um, consistent and continuous software update. 
you know, because I think most people after two or three years, they change their phones anyway. They don't necessarily wait for a long time. The people who wait for a long time are those people who aren't really phone people, you know, and to those people, phones are phones. So it doesn't matter which phone you get. It doesn't matter how high end or low end or mid range it is. A phone's a phone. As long as it works well, it's good to go. And for those people, consistent software update would certainly help with that. So I guess it's, it's, it's a matter of taking into account of different perspectives, but certainly for me, and of course for a lot of tech, tech enthusiasts, these continuous software updates are something we look forward to. But that being said, you know, with all of these software updates, I think Apple still hasn't even implemented the most basic of features into their operating system. And I think that's going to cause them more harm in the long term than good. So we've talked about earlier in the news, we talked about uh, widgets possibly coming into uh, iOS 14. You know, for Android users, this this is nothing new. You know, we've had widgets since almost the beginning of Android. And it's only gotten more and more powerful over time. So let me give you an example. On my Galaxy S10, I have my personal calendar in my home screen. I swipe left and I can see my calendar and all of my schedule. I don't have to go into the calendar app and I don't have to suffer an extremely small widget to look at very, very minor scheduling details. On iOS, I also have a calendar widget on the spotlight menu. However, the widgets there are a little bit neutered, you know? There's not much things I can do with it. Uh, I can't really perform the tasks I want to, you know. Maybe they are a over. Maybe I can glance certain, you know, general details about the app. But beyond that, there's really not much I can do, and it's a. It's quite a shame, actually. That's a very interesting take because, as you mentioned um, earlier, I think um, well in terms of the Android uh, Android space, the customization that you get and as well as the fragmentation that you get for Android is sort of like a blessing and blessing and a curse at the same time, because um, you get a tremendous amounts of customer customization, but at the same time, you cannot really have a cohesive uh, experience in terms of software updates because uh, of the fragmentation that you get with, uh, with Android. And as you've mentioned in regards to, uh, to widgets and all that, I believe um, before Apple implements any feature, they want to make sure that they can implement the feature in a very, very simple, uh, simplified version in which anybody can use it, um, as opposed to the way Android, uh, Android manufacturers implement it. Because I remember way back when I was younger, uh, when, I used, when I used a couple of Android devices, I used it like I was using an iOS device. I never really used it for, you know, for... For all of its, I never really utilized its Android-based uh, features like widgets, for example. But as I um, as I grew older and as I learned more about technology, that's when I realized, oh, widgets are a pretty cool feature. But it's not a it's not a necessity, I would say. But moving forward, especially right now, in how mobile operating systems have evolved, I think it's about time that Apple implements some form of widgets that um that extends beyond just um just the 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 panel that we have on the left on on the side we want to see i believe at least for me i want to see more interactive widgets but at the same time it doesn't take away from uh, the ease of use that ios provides because i believe that is still a tremendous selling point uh, in my opinion well that might certainly be the case but i genuinely do wonder you know 
um, because I don't think the customizability is necessarily a hindrance to consistent and regular software updates. I think that the hindrance actually comes from the Android manufacturers and not the customizability of Android. I've, uh, I, for example, installed um, YouTube Vanced. And uh, you know what? I can lock my phone and still have the YouTube video playing in the background. It's an app developed by people in the Android community specifically to improve the YouTube experience. And I'll tell you what, it is fantastic. You can't actually get the same thing with iOS unless, of course, you pay for the YouTube app. As far as the Android uh, users are concerned, at least those who can take uh, advantage of things, uh, take advantage of certain situations, certain builds, certain apps, you know, even testing uh, of, of apps, you know, it's, it's really, really, really powerful. You know, the things you can do with your with your Android, if you're fed up with the looks of your Android, change it. You can do that pretty easily, but you can't necessarily do that with iOS. Maybe it's not for everyone. You know, people are, most people, I think, are perfectly content with how the default home screen looks. But, you know, if you've met any iOS power users, they'll tell you it's pretty, it's, it's not enough. It is really not enough. Uh, this YouTube channel, Snazzy Labs, the host of Snazzy Labs, or the owner, creator of it, you know, he has an iOS device, which is jailbroken. The sort of customizability from jailbroken devices is genuinely fantastic, but it comes at a great risk. And that risk is you lose your warranty. And depending on the build of the jailbreak or, or which version the jailbreak is for, you know, it might cause severe problems to your phones. It's similar to routing, actually. Although jailbreaking is actually a lot more simpler than rooting your Android. So, you know, I guess, I guess it's a give and take, you know, um, where because I come, because I grew up, well, not necessarily grew up, but because I've used Android for the majority of my adult life, you know, I feel right at home with it. And it's iOS that's sort of the stranger that sort of needs to adapt. But of course, you know, uh, using iOS, I can see the quirks and charms with iOS, even though I'm frustrated with certain things. For those of you listening out there right now, it's not that it's not that iOS is bad. It's not even that Android's bad. They're both very competent operating systems. It's sort of a matter of what's your preference really? Like if I had to choose a phone to use, you know, right now, if I had to choose Android or iOS, I'd still go with Android, even though iOS has a better camera better video recording capabilities, a better track record when it comes to software updates, more fluid user experience, a more cohesive UI and UX design. When it comes to the end of the day, if you're someone like me, someone who values customizability, making the most of your phone, you're really going to go for an Android and not an iOS device. iOS is really not, you know, iOS or iPhone 11 Pro doesn't really matter, but it's not going to cut it out for you, even though it's pretty good to use, actually. Again, that is quite an insightful take. Um, I also believe that um, you know, to all our listeners out there, those of you who have uh, been just Android users in particular, or iOS users in particular, I would suggest you know go out and experiment. You know, go out and you know if you feel the time is right, and if you feel like you have some uh, some extra income, go out there and try give give the other the other end a try. You'll never know. You might find quite a quite. Uh, certain features that may be quite appealing to you. Like for, for my end, I am an iOS user. I always have been an iOS user. But um, 
most likely um, sometime late this year or next year, I do plan on uh, purchasing my my first Android device. So um, it may not be the highest end device. It most likely will be like a OnePlus device. But exploring different uh, offerings from the Android end, that on its own would give you um, sort of an understanding and a newfound ex- appreciation for um, for the uh, opposing um, software platform. So instead of limiting ourselves, I think the best thing we can do as people who are into technology, as enthusiasts, we should experiment. We should not just uh, base our opinions based on um, on what we read online. We should go out there, try these devices out firsthand, and you never know. You might be uh, you might be humbly surprised, as uh, as Benjamin has suggested. So as for um, the operating system of choice, I do believe that that comes down to personal preference. But again, go out there, experiment, don't limit yourself. And hey, you never know. You might uh, you might find something you like, but no harm in, uh, in experimenting. All right. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, that has been quite an insightful, uh, insightful discussion. We hope to engage in more of these discussions moving forwards uh, throughout various devices that we may use here and there. And um, do let us know what you think regarding um, regarding discussions like this. So it's always good to incorporate deep dives into various topics such as what we're doing here today. So that's pretty much it from uh, from us. Um, again, I would like to extend uh, my gratitude to all of our listeners who are listening. Um, ben, do you have anything to say? Um, yeah. Uh, so thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. Um, it's a slightly shorter episode than our first, um, but it just goes to show you how much thing, how many things we had to talk about in our first episode. Oh, by the way, if any of you, and this includes Launchman, if you're interested, apparently uh, OnePlus might actually release um, a sort of budget OnePlus, similar or in the spirit of the OnePlus X that I had uh, in, in the past. And if it's anything like the OnePlus X, you'll probably enjoy it as well if you're iOS users. Oh, if you're an Android user that really wants a taste of OnePlus without breaking the bank, well, there you go. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's a slight PSA for you. And, um... Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Please tune in next time. Uh, We're going to post another episode in about two weeks. So tune in then and let us know. Let us know if you have any additional feedback. Again, we do appreciate all of the feedback you give. And we want to improve ourselves every episode from now till who knows when. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the Silicon Syndicate. Take care and goodbye.